Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. And when you have it, would you stand to your feet in honor of the reading of God's word? Amen. Amen. Joshua chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading at verse 26. And again, if you have it, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord, verse 26 of Joshua chapter 6. It says, Then Joshua made them take an oath at the time, saying, Cursed before the Lord is any man who rises up and builds this city Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation with the loss of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. And so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in the land. Chapter 7. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regards to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah. Took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not let all of the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go up to Ai. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. But the men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent so that the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord. Until the evening, both he and the elders of Israel, they put dust on their heads. Then Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan only to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it. They will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they've even taken some of the accursed things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, They have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They can, they turn their backs before their enemies. 
they have become accursed. And I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. So then rise up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel has said, there are things under the ban in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things from under the ban. Chapter 7, verse number 1 says, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regards to the things under the ban. For Achan, everybody say Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah took some of the things under the ban. Verse 11 says Israel has sinned. Verse 1 says Achan took. But verse 11 says Israel has sinned. You may be seated. I want to preach for a little while, even at the subject, there is aching in my body. Amen. There is aching in my body. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. There is aching in my body. Um, for the last several weeks, um, we've been kind of preaching and teaching through this series entitled The Work, where we're talking about the work that God has called us to, to build his kingdom. Um, and for the last few weeks, I've been in Nehemiah, but this week I felt led uh, to talk about a different builder of a different nation, of a different work, or of the same nation from a different work named Joshua, because I feel that this can kind of shed a light on what it is we're trying to get each other to see during this series. Uh, how many of y'all know it takes teamwork to make the dream work? Amen. That even though we are individuals, we are part of an interconnected and interdependent body of Christ. That no person is an island unto themselves. Amen. But God has called us all to work collaboratively and cooperatively to make his vision for this ministry and for our lives come to pass. Doesn't matter how great and wonderful and independent you think you are, look at your neighbor and say, I need you. Yeah, if you're going to be successful, if you're going to be who it is that God has called you to be, you're going to need somebody's help. And as a body of Christ and as a local church, we have to understand that we need each other in order to accomplish the purpose of God for all of our lives. You cannot do this thing by yourself. The problem is many of us have adopted an individualistic mentality that tells us that we can do our own thing and still be connected to the body, that we can be feet and try to operate as hands and still be connected to the body, that we can be eyes and try to function as ears and still be in proper alignment with the body. But in order for you to be who it is that God's called you to be and in order for you to get what God wants you to get, you have to be able to operate in your function and in your place as a member of the body of Christ. Somebody say amen. So I want to take a moment, and uh, I don't know if I'm going to preach this or if I'm going to teach this. Can y'all just uh, give me some liberty to say what God has to say? I really don't have a sermon. I got a message, though. And I want to try my best to uh, give this to you uh, the way God gave it to me. Um, because the truth of the matter is the reason why many of us 
uh, are not able to accomplish our purpose is because we have issues in our body. Yes, sir. We have issues in our body. I uh, have a heart condition, and uh, coupled with that heart condition are several deficiencies because how many of y'all know that when your heart is not right, everything else is out of whack? And so because that heart issue has created for me a potassium deficiency, I struggle with acute pain in my joints. And that acute pain keeps me from doing what I need to do, Brother Herman, with my body because there is aching in my body. And the reason why the body of Christ is not able to do what it needs to do, beloved, is because even though we may not see it, it might not be pronounced, there is aching or aching in our body. The Bible says that Achan was a man of the tribe of Judah, and his name specifically means trouble. Yeah, his name specifically means trouble. And many of us are not able to accomplish what we want to accomplish because there is trouble in our body that we won't acknowledge. Yeah, because many of us, because we're passive aggressive, uh, we have the ability to acknowledge symptoms, but we never address the root cause. So you'll address the issues that are caused by the cause, but you won't address the cause itself. That's why we find ourselves making subliminal Facebook statuses about people mad at folk that haven't done anything to us, walking away from relationships that have nothing to do with what's wrong with us. We put boundaries everywhere except the place where we need to put them because the truth of the matter is there is aching in our body, and we really don't want to address the aching. We want to address the things that the aching causes. But God says, if you really want to be who I'm calling you to be, you've got to be willing to address the actual problem in your body. The Bible tells us by way of context that Joshua has just fought the battle of Jericho. After he's fought the battle of Jericho, beloved, the Bible says you are all good Sunday school graduates, that after he fought the battle of Jericho, the walls came tumbling down. The Bible said that in chapter 6, at the end of the chapter, Joshua then makes a pronouncement that anyone who rebuilds this city of Jericho, anybody who rebuilds it is under a curse. Moreover, not only are you under a curse if you rebuild Jericho, you are under a curse if you take anything from Jericho because God has decided, hear me, if you miss this, you're going to miss everything else. God has decided that everything that's in Jericho is accursed. Everybody say accursed. Yeah. The word accursed in the Hebrew doesn't mean what we think it means. We oftentimes think that cursed means witchcraft or that someone's put a spell on it. But literally, Marquita, all cursed means is set aside for God for destruction. It literally means that it has been given to God because it is his. Notice then the first place that they conquered in the promised land God said you can't take any of the riches from that first place, but the first conquest, the riches, belong to me. God institutes then, even before Malachi chapter 3, the principle of the first fruit, the principle of the tithe. God says before you get anything, when you come into the land, all of the gold, all of the 
purple, all of the riches, all of the silver, all of the animals belong to me. Because God is trying to set a principle in place that before you build up your house, you have to first build up God's house. And I think that we miss that. We try to build up our own individual houses, our own individual plans, our own individual businesses, not understanding that God says you don't have the right to work on your stuff until you've worked on my stuff. It is a principle that is throughout, it is replete throughout scripture that God says, I don't mind you doing you, but you've got to do what I called you to do first. Yeah, God is not afraid of your diversity. God is not afraid of you expanding. God is not afraid of you starting a business and having a ministry and doing your own thing. God says you can do your own thing, but you got to keep the main thing the main thing. And too many of us are trying to do other things when we have not done the main thing. Jericho was Israel's tithe unto God. And God told them, don't take anything out of Jericho. Kill everybody in Jericho except Rahab and her family. And everything in the city is cursed. It belongs to me. The Bible says that in the midst of this, Achan, a part of the tribe of Judah, decides that he's going to take something that God said was his, hear me, and he's going to use it for his own benefit. Achan decides that he's going to take the thing that God said belongs to him and he's going to use it to bless and to prosper and to increase himself. And whether you know it or not, beloved, that is the issue that many of us are having in our lives. We want to take God's stuff, God's talent, God's anointing, God's revelation, God's gifting, and we want to use God's stuff to better and enrich ourselves, not understanding that God says what you have belongs to me. Do you hear what I'm saying? God says what you've got, beloved, belongs to me. And before you bless yourself with it, you've got to bless me with it. Because how many of you understand that really if you're blessing yourself, it's not really a blessing at all. Because whatever is blessed, it is the responsibility of the one who blesses it to keep it blessed. So if you have to bless yourself, then you've got to keep yourself. And that's why many of us are frustrated and worn out and tired now. Because we blessed ourselves with God's stuff. And so God says, if you blessed yourself, you've got to keep yourself blessed. God, help me. And many of us don't have the patience, the power, the fortitude, the attitude, the mental stability to be our own blesser. God, help me. So many of us want to try to work in the place of God and protect ourselves and bless ourselves and promote ourselves and keep ourselves and we wonder why our lives are falling apart it's because we're existing in a space that is above our pay grade yeah see how many times do we get embarrassed and hurt and ashamed because we're doing things we don't have any business doing when God said if you would just get in your place I'll keep you in the place of perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on me but you can't have peace if you're trying to do God's job because you don't have the ability to handle God's job yeah you, you don't have the, the ability to handle God's job you can't bless yourself so when God tells you to keep your hands off of his stuff You've got to hear what God says. It's not because God doesn't want you to have, beloved. Yeah, it's not because God doesn't want you to have. It's not because God does not want you to do. It's not because God is trying to keep you bound and 
because church folk are crazy and they don't want to see you do anything but church. No, beloved, that's not it. We just want you to understand that if your life is going to be successful, it's got to be a God first life. It cannot be a me first life. It can't be a life based on what you want and what you desire and what you think is best and what you think is right. It has to be a life that is outlined and defined by the word of God. And when you decide that God can no longer define you or worse, you think you're clever enough to manipulate God's word to make it say what you want it to say so that you can be the kind of person that you feel like being. Instead of aligning your life up with the word of God, you're no longer worshiping your God. You're worshiping an idol that looks like you. And many of us have created gods in our own images to support our own desires. And we're living in a false narrative based on a false perception uh, of God that really is not, uh, that does not exist. A God that does not exist. The God that just understands and will let you do whatever you like. That is a God that doesn't exist. The God uh, that looks past your sin and winks at it and understands your heart. Uh, that's not the God of the Bible. That's a God that doesn't exist. The God that promotes you at the expense of the body. That is not a God that exists. And many of us are worshiping a false God. We're worshiping a God that we've created, and that's really what Achan has done. When we get to the text, Achan says, look, I know what God said. I heard the voice of the man of God. I heard the instruction. I was in Jericho looking at what God had done. But I decided that obedience, that disobedience in that moment was okay because I wanted something. How, how many of us have tried to justify disobedience based on our wants, based on our feelings, based on what we thought, based on our emotions, and we try to justify disobedience to the word of God? Many of us, see, many of us do it with our tempers, our tantrums, our inability to control our feelings. We explode, we run off at the mouth, we say stuff we shouldn't say, we're petty and we're bitter and we're harmful and we're hurtful and we think it's okay, but the Bible says if anyone claims to be religious and cannot control their tongue, that person is a liar and their religion is in vain. And we don't want to live according to the Bible because living according to the Bible is hard. Living according to the culture is easy. Living according to the culture is easy. Culture says, be an influencer. Promote yourself. Step out before you're ready. Everybody got something to say. But the Bible does not teach that. The Bible says, Under your, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. Culture says promote yourself, but the Bible says promotion comes not from the east nor from the west. It comes from the Lord. And we're living in a culture that is defying the word of God in favor of itself, and people are broken and they don't know why. Can I tell you why I think my generation is, 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 is the most educated but the most crazy and heavily medicated generation in history? Uh, because we are the first generation to expect expertise from people who haven't mastered anything. We've made influencers out of unaccomplished people. We, 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 we've made moguls and celebrities out of folk who share their unbased opinion uh, or opinions that are not based in fact 
or inexperienced. You got life coaches who haven't been successful in life coaching other folk on how to be successful in life. That's like me trying to teach one of these musicians how to play an instrument I can't play and then charging them for it. Dr. Matthew Stevenson out of Chicago, Illinois, he said something uh, pointed a few weeks ago. He said there's a difference between a coach and a criminal. He said, because a coach has experience and expertise in the, exp in the process that they're coaching you in, a criminal just takes your money and gives you some bad advice. He said, that's not coaching, that's called filthy lucre. Y'all love that, that's what he said, I didn't say that. But this generation that we live in has made experts out of inexperienced people. They, they've given notoriety to novices, and because they've given notoriety, Jay, to novices, we've got novices who are raising up thinking that they deserve notoriety. Because they want to use God's stuff. I'm still in the text. You want to use what God has set aside for himself to bless yourself. You want to use worldly wisdom and cultural terminology and slap Jesus on top of it. And act like you're a faith-based influencer. What faith are you based in? Who is your faith rooted in? If you are taking God's stuff, Achan, and promoting yourself. And notice, Achan was one person. But because Achan was connected to the body, when Achan sinned against God, all of Israel lost. Because you were, they were connected to somebody who was not submitted to the instruction that God had given the house. Do you hear what I'm saying? One person caused an entire nation to suffer defeat. And it wasn't just any defeat. Do y'all hear me? It was defeat in an area that they should have won. If you look at the text, look at chapter 7. They, they, they went down to Ai and they sent spies because Joshua was good at battle. He was an excellent military strategist. So he said, look, let me send some spies down to Ai. And they got there and the spies said, and you got to understand, Ai had, had to be a, a real, real small, insignificant nation. If these same spies that a few chapters ago didn't think they could take the land said, oh no, we don't need a whole lot of folk to go to Ai. They were afraid to go into Jericho. But they got to Ai and said, oh yeah, we can do this. Because when sin is in the camp, hear me, it removes divine favor and divine responsibility off of your life. And so God then forces you to fight battles in your own strength that you would be able to fight in his strength. Do you hear what I'm saying? And many of us are making calculated risks that we're taking as if God is still with us. When we don't understand that we've sacrificed the hand of God when we decided to do our own thing and, and, and abandon his divine instruction. Y'all hear what I'm saying? When, when, when we decide that we don't have to listen to God, God doesn't necessarily go to war against you, but he does take his hand off you. And it's scary to think that you out here fighting the devil by yourself. It's scary to think that you've got to fight your enemies on your own because you'll begin to lose battles that you should be winning. Can anybody be honest and talk about seasons in your life where you were losing battles that you knew you should have won? 
where you were falling in sin struggles that you knew that you had conquered, that you were dealing with attitudes that you thought you had laid down at the feet of Jesus, that triggers that you thought you had healed past are now triggering you again. It's because when you are out of alignment with the instruction of God, you lose battles in AI. AI represents enemies that you should destroy, but they're destroying you instead. Look at the text. They didn't lose because they couldn't fight. They didn't lose because Joshua's strategy was off. They didn't lose because they were outnumbered. But the Bible says, God tells Joshua that because I'm not standing with you, you ain't going to be able to stand against the enemy. But because I'm not on your side, you're not going to be able to stand against the people that are coming against you. And many of us are going into battle without the divine aid of God. Huh. And, and, and while I'm there, let, let, me, let, let me just pause there and insert this. It doesn't matter who's with you if God is not with you. It doesn't matter how many people you've rallied to your cause if God is not on your side. It doesn't matter how many people you've got to rally around your discontent. If God is not on your side, it doesn't matter your team, your strategy, your partners, your supporters, your financiers, don't matter how much money you got, if you do not have God, you will lose when there is disobedience connected to you. When there is disobedience connected to you, you will always this is what's wrong with the body of Christ now. There's aching in our body. People feeling as if they can take God's stuff and use it for themselves. Uh, better yet, this is what God says. I can't say it better than he says it. He says not only have they taken the accursed thing, but they've had the nerve uh, verse 12 or verse 11, to put it among their own things. They've taken my stuff and they've put it among their own things. Let me say it again. Let me say it slow. They've taken my stuff, says God, and they've mixed my stuff with their own things. Be careful when you try to mix God's stuff with your own things. Because when you mix God's stuff with your own things, it doesn't make your stuff godly, it makes your stuff cursed. You can't put godly on top of ungodly and think it makes it godly. It makes it cursed. You hear what I'm saying? It, it's like... Uh, um, uh, I won't, I won't say his name, but he's my child, and he's the only boy child that I have, but I can say it. Um, it's like my, my wife one time uh, was loving on my son um, right before he got ready to go play a football game. And uh, he was wearing his football clothes and stuff, and his football clothes never had been playing football in it. 
and uh, my son, you know, he's getting ready for football games and stuff, Brother Herman, so he's running around the living room, getting ready, jumping, getting himself ready for the game. And my wife says, she sees me jumping. My wife says, say, Jude, Jude, um, stop doing all that moving. You're already moving. Because she understood that when you heat up something, it stinks. Heating it up don't make it smell better. It actually draws attention to how funky it really is. You understand what I'm saying? There's a difference between stank and hot stank. Okay, y'all ain't going to say nothing. Y'all, y'all, <laughs> there, there's, there was a difference between a mess and a hot. Okay, y'all ain't going to say I got a witness in the back. Okay, uh, and God says putting godly on top of your ungodly doesn't make it godly, but godly shows how ungodly your mess really is. Ooh, that's why you can't have immature folk trying to do ministry. Because when you try to do ministry as an immature person, it does not make you seem mature. It just shows how immature you really are. That's why you need to thank God for leaders who will pull you back and will tell you it's not time and will tell you that you're not ready because we don't want you to be embarrassed and mess up your opportunity to have influence in the future by exposing everybody to how immature you are today. Some of y'all would be respected if you hadn't let folk get to know you before you were ready for folk to know you. You've messed up your opportunity and your credibility because you had a spotlight on you that you weren't ready for too soon. I, I tell this story all the time. I hope my dad's watching. He said he's watching today. Uh, my dad, man, y'all know how I close, right? Uh, I close my messages typically. I haven't for the last couple of weeks because I've been in this little teaching vein. But, you know, I, I am what uh, classical black preachers would call a hooper. Uh, I'm a hooper. I, li I like to close. I, I close strong too, Marquita. When I get to do it, Mike, I like to do it that way. You know, I'm a hooper. Um, but it didn't always, it wasn't always that way. Because I was raised uh, by a preaching preacher. And so when I first started preaching, my dad to this day, my wife will tell you, uh, well, probably not anymore, but uh, up until a few years ago, my dad would sit out there with his microphone. I mean, doing praise and worship, Chris, he'd be singing, praise him, be up. My dad would be out there in the crowd all loud, while the praise team singing, all of that, ranch out and run, all of that. And I started preaching at a young age, and I wanted to preach like all the preachers that I heard. They were all hoopers, but I was not ready. And so every time I got ready to close my message, Lolo, every time I got ready to close, I started changing my voice like I was getting ready to hoop. I'm like, and so then tonight, as I prepare to leave you, the Bible says that David and my dad will be like, amen, let's thank God for Minister Joshua. One day he's going to learn his place, amen. And I was mad and I was frustrated, but my father understood that he did not want me to mess up my opportunity by doing something that I wanted to do and that I would eventually be gifted to do, but I wasn't ready at the time. And immaturity made me feel like he was jealous of my anointing. My daddy don't want me to preach. He think I'm going to preach better than him. He trying to stifle me. He don't want me to go. He know that I'll, I'll get that house. If he actually let me go, I'll get that house. And my dad would never let me close that way. I started preaching now when I was 15 years old. My dad would never let me close that way. But he would bring me up to the church, Jay, in the middle of the week, and he'd say, sing this. 
Sing it like, no, don't sing it that way. Sing it like this. Breathe this way. No, don't breathe from your throat. Breathe from your belly, from your diaphragm. And I get irritated. Why is he, I don't want to sing. I want to preach. I ain't a singer. I'm a hoopah. And I didn't understand why he wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do. When I wanted to do it, I would get upset with him because I felt like he was holding me back. And weeks and weeks and months and months and years of him not letting me hoop and me having to sit down right when I felt it. I was upset. And then one day, I'll never forget, I was preaching good. My daddy was standing up. My dad never stood up while I was preaching. He was standing up looking at me with tears rolling down his face. And I knew the routine. I had gotten to my clothes. That's how I got so good, y'all. I tell young preachers, that's how I got so good at closing stories because I couldn't hoop. So I had to try to find a way to close without hooping. So one day I tell this story, and I've told it before. I can't tell y'all what it is because then y'all going to know it when it's coming. But I was telling this story, and it got my dad. My dad stood up, and he said, okay, let me go and I closed and I could do it and I said daddy what's the difference he said because you submitted yourself to the process now you're prepared to be exposed without being embarrassed come here let me help some of y'all you want to be exposed but you haven't been prepared and ain't nothing worse coming out the kitchen than an undercooked meal but we got unbaked half-baked, undercooked Christians wanting to do mega ministry when you can't submit to minor process. How you gonna lead and you can't handle nobody telling you to shut up? How you gonna speak and you can't handle when nobody tells you it's not your turn to talk? It's not your turn to tell nobody what to do. It's not your time. And you want to get in your feelings and then if somebody that don't care about you let you get out there and get embarrassed, you're going to be hurt, talking about the church ain't nothing. They let me get up there and talk about me. They let me go and I wasn't ready. But you wouldn't sit anywhere long enough. You got to sit long enough to know something. <laughs> That's why you matriculate through school. Matriculate is just a fancy word for stay. Yeah, just, it means to stay. You get a degree, help me, not just because you're smart, but a degree doesn't speak as much to your intelligence as it speaks to your tenacity to endure process. It, it speaks to your ability to sit somewhere and submit to someone else scrutinizing your work and scrutinizing your productivity, and telling you that you're wrong, and submitting a paper again, and doing it over, it says that you can handle process, not that you're smart. Because how many of y'all know that God doesn't call you because you're smart, he calls you because you're submitted. Obedience is the only thing that qualifies you to do anything in the kingdom. And so many of us have run away from kingdom because it did not stroke our ego and make us feel good about ourselves. But God does not call you because of your skill set. He calls you because of your ability to be submitted. And when you think that you bring something to the table, you've disqualified yourself. Huh. We used to sing songs. I know we don't sing songs like this now. Well, every now and then Mike will lift the refrain, but there's a song that says Christ alone. But there's a verse in that. We don't sing verses to hymns anymore, Joe. But it says, not the labor of my hands could fulfill thy word command. Right? Because we understood that there was nothing we can bring to the table to satisfy God except God. The only thing that we can give God is a yes. The only thing we can provide to the kingdom is our obedience. 
And when we get our butt on our shoulders and get arrogant and proud and start feeling as if we have more to offer than we really have, that's when God takes his hand off of us. Achan took what belonged to God because he thought he could do better with God's stuff than God could. God said, this is mine. I'm going to tell you what to do with it. Achan says, yeah, God, I hear that, uh, but this silver and this robe looks good to me. And that, that robe will look real good on my wife. That silver will look real good on my pinky finger. Uh, that stuff that I took goes well in my house, but here is the problem. And I stole this from my executive pastor because he preached this as his first sermon years ago. And he told me that this is what he said. So this ain't me. This ain't Bishop. This is Pastor Chris. But on the podcast, my name going on the message. Uh, Achan steals God's stuff because of his arrogance, thinking he can do better with God's stuff than God could. But he hides it in his tent, which means that he's not able to enjoy what he stole because he's out of order. Because whenever you're out of order, you can't enjoy out of orderness and still be a part of the kingdom. Uh, so you got to hide. What if you were in order, you'd be able to celebrate, God help me, <laughs> because you're out of order. And too many of us are sneaking around doing things that would be celebrated if you had done it right, God help me. I, I don't want to go there, I don't want to step on nobody's toes. My wife be getting nervous, they be texting each other while I'm preaching, saying, I hope he don't say what I think he's going to say. I ain't going to say it, baby, I promise you. It's our 11th anniversary on Facebook. It's a special day, so I'm going to honor you by not embarrassing us from this pulpit. But some folk want you to celebrate foolishness that you can't celebrate because it was done improperly. Because you can't celebrate foolishness like it was done right when you know it's wrong. And you can't be sent when you're not submitted. Do you hear what I'm saying? Achan couldn't enjoy what he took because what he took wasn't for him. And ain't that crazy to take something that you want, but you can't enjoy what you got because it's stolen? Ooh, that's why I never wanted to be a thief. Because I didn't understand how you could rob a bank with marked money and spend the money. Because I worked at a bank. Didn't make sense to me. I knew eventually we had tracers on most of them stacks of money. If you went and tried to spend it, I wasn't clever like that. You know, I watch movies and stuff where they go to strip clubs and do drug deals and try to, I wasn't trying to do all that. I didn't understand that. I'm not a thief. Because one thing I understood about stealing is that if you, if you steal long enough, eventually you're going to have to lie. That's what my mama said. My mama said, if you lie, you'll steal. And if you steal, you'll kill. Won't black parents take it to the extreme? <laughs> like, my God, mother, I took some bubble gum. I'm not a murderer. If you take a bubble gum, you'll steal and you'll kill somebody else. You'll take a life. If you take some Mentos off the shelf and put them in your pocket, you'll shoot somebody. And no, mama, I won't. I promise. But sin starts you down a path. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Sin will take you down a path where you've got to then cover up for what you've done instead of living life open and exposed. God help me. Uh, I got to quit. My, my time's up. Uh, so the Bible says Joshua's tripping. He's mad that they lost the battle. And he goes before God because he doesn't understand as a leader, Mike, he's done everything right. 
Everything that he did at Jericho, he did at Ai. Everything that he had done before Lolo that had brought him victory, he did it. But the Bible says this time around, it didn't work. And Joshua, as a leader, is trying to figure out why he failed. And he falls on his face before God and says, God, and says, God, why did you let this happen? And God says to him, get up off the ground and stop tripping. Israel has sinned. This is what blows my mind. Candace, God says Israel has sinned, but only one person did something wrong. All of Israel has sinned. That doesn't just mean the tribe, that doesn't just mean Achan, doesn't just mean Achan's clan, doesn't just mean the tribe of Judah. God paints all 12 tribes with the same brush of sin. Because one person in one family, in one clan, in one tribe, took what belongs to God. Why is this important, Bishop? It is important because you've got to understand that the same way corporate obedience causes corporate success, individualistic disobedience can ruin corporate success. You cannot be a part of a body and act like you're not a part of a body. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah, we, we want to attend church because if we read the Bible even a little bit, we understand that we should, right? I, I don't really think you can find, and I'll be honest, I don't really think you can find in the Bible where church membership and church attendance is not assumed in the New Testament. It is assumed so vociferously that it's not even really mentioned, right? It, it, it's assumed so heavily that they don't even talk about the process for joining the church in the church or in the book, in the, in, in the Bible. They just tell you to be a part of a flock. Tells you in Hebrews to submit, here you go, to pastoral leadership and to obey them. Why? For they keep watch over your soul and they give an account to God for your sake and let them do this with joy and not with sorrow. Ooh. How, how many pastors would be blessed if, 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 if folk quoted that scripture? If they knew that one, that causing your pastor a headache in his covering of you is sin. Bible says when he goes before God, he should be able to do it with joy and not with sorrow. Literally, what, what the writer is telling us is you should not be the reason that your pastor is complaining about his church. That when he goes to God to vent and to pray and to release his frustration to prayer, you should not be the reason. Now, some of them are complaining because they crazy. I get that. They crazy. Yeah, we are. We are. I think, I think we do have to be a little undoing to do this work on purpose. I mean, we, I've been doing this most of my, all of my adult life, most of my life. And I realize that really I'm not all the way, all the way there. Because you do stuff in leadership that would suggest that, Hermes, that you're not all the way there. Like getting the building that you think is good and saying that you're going to renovate it in 90 days. And your giving ain't changed, your membership ain't gone up, giving ain't went up for real. But you step out on faith and say that God's going to do it. And you hope that he shows up. But rationale, normal rationale would say don't do that. 
you got to be a little bit crazy. And so sometimes pastors are complaining about their people because they're crazy. But can I be honest and tell you something, Pastor? And play this, Pastor, at your church because I know you can't say it because they'll fire you because you pastored in their church before they were born again. So I'll say it for you. Just play this for the church. Sometimes we complain because God blessed us. So sometimes we're complaining because you speak in tongues and then gossip and you tear up churches. Some, sometimes we're complaining because you say you're a mature Christian, but your attitude speaks to everything but Christian maturity. Some, sometimes we, we complain to God because you say you're a submitted son or daughter, but then you do unsubmitted stuff, right? You, you're <laughs> standing up on the outside, but sitting down on the inside. Can, can I help you? All of that speaks to Achan in the Bible. You know, some of y'all are like, I don't know why he's preaching this. I pay my tithes. I don't take God's stuff. I don't mingle it with my own. But some of it's not your money, it's your attitude. Some, some of it's not your money, it's your time. It, it, it's, it's, some of it's not your money, it's your family and how you raise your children and what you're teaching them about God based on your flippant reality spiritually. Have you ever thought that maybe your spiritual inconsistency is not about you, but it's about Satan trying to corrupt your children? Because whatever walks in the fathers and mothers runs in the sons and daughters. So if you're lukewarm spiritually, your kids are going to grow up not caring about God. That, that maybe the fact that you don't care, you're ambivalent about worship, you're ambivalent about coming on time, you're ambivalent about serving and giving and sacrificing, that you're raising now a generation that the next generation of pastors is going to have to complain about because you raised your kids wrong. Because instead of teaching them to sit in service quiet, you give them iPads and phones and tablets. Instead of making them sit and listen like they can't sit for an hour. I told my kids a long time ago, you ain't getting no tablet. If you can sit up and watch Avengers Endgame with your eyes open for three hours and not move, not potty, not go nowhere. My kids, no, I told them before service, I told them before service, you was in my office, I think, one, no, Candace was back there with me. I said, you understand that when y'all get up and potty, every time you get up and potty, that's a whooping. I said, so make a good life decision, beloved. Because mama gave you time before you left, before you went into sanctuary to go pee-pee. So if you got to get up and pee, you understand that every time you get up, you're making a decision with your life. Why am I doing that? Not because I'm abusive or crazy. I'm doing it because my kids can sit everywhere else. They need to be able to sit in church. You are creating aching in the body by how you raise and impact the next generation. Oh, let me help you because some of y'all ain't got kids, so y'all feel like this doesn't apply. You're creating aching in the body by how you mentor people that you mentor, how you coach people that you coach, how you advise people that call you an advisor. You're giving them ungodly advice and breeding ungodly attitudes and ungodly behavior in them that you're going to have to answer for when you stand before God. So the Bible says, I got to move quickly, I, I, let, let, me, let me stop. Um, the Bible says that, that Joshua goes before God, he tells God, God, I'm mad because you let this happen. God says, I didn't let it happen, you let it happen, because under your leadership, you allowed somebody to take what I said belongs to me. As long as they have what's mine, you're not going to have what's yours. I promise to victory, but you can't have what I promise you. If someone in your house is holding what belongs to me. And so God says, you got to expose them. Call them out by corner. Call them out by corner. And make them tell what happened. And so when we get to chapter 
7, verses 16, uh, verse 16 through 25, uh, the Bible said that Joshua called all of Israel together by tribe, then by clan, then by house, then by family, then by household. Bible said that it falls upon Achan. Oh, God. <laughs> when Joshua calls out Achan, Jay, this is funny to me. Uh, verse 16 or verse 19, the Bible says, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell him now, and tell me now what you have done and don't hide it from me. Uh, the Good News translation says this way. It says, praise God, thief. Tell us what you've done. Because <laughs> how many of y'all know that when you're in sin, the only praise you can give God is confession? <laughs> when you are in sin, your hallelujah doesn't mean anything to him. When you're in sin, you're speaking in tongues. Your ilabahoshatai rolling around on the floor, foaming at the mouth doesn't mean anything to God if you have not confessed your sin. That's why you got folk who can praise God but don't have power to live for God outside of their praise because they won't let go of their sin. Whew. You got preachers who can preach heaven down but can't live what they preach. Because you can't give God anything when there is unrepented sin in your heart. That's why Matthew 18 tells you that when you have an art with your brother, don't bring that art into worship, but settle the art with your brother before you come into worship, or else everything you give is tainted. It says, Give God glory, thief. Give him a true praise. And tell us the truth about what you've done. Give God a real praise. God help me. I, I got to stay there for a minute because we got too many fake praises in the house. I think that's why worship won't really break out in the church. Because if real worship actually took place the way it's supposed to, chains would be broken. People would be delivered. People would be set free if real worship happened. But the reason why real worship can't happen is because we got too many thieves that won't tell the truth about their thievery. God, my attitude stole your glory, and I'm sorry. God, my pride stole your glory, and I'm sorry. God, my feelings corrupted your intention for my life, and I won't let it go. I'm sorry. But we got people that want to glaze over it with a false praise. And you think that just because the worship team is singing good and the band is playing good and the sound is right and you're moving around, that God is really receiving your worship when really God is like, I can't touch that because it's tainted. And you don't understand that God is doing you a favor by not touching your tainted worship. Because if God touches your tainted worship, he'll burn you up. Because the Bible says in Psalms, let God arise and his enemies will be scattered. But check this out. As wax melts before the presence of the fire, so shall wickedness perish in the presence of God. That if you are wicked in God's presence, he's going to burn you up. So God is doing you a favor by not touching your tainted worship. Y'all talking about you want an experience with God. No, you don't. Because the only time we see a real worship experience in the Bible where God shows up in his fullness and his glory is in Isaiah. When Isaiah says, in the year the king Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord. And he was high and lifted up upon the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And above him I saw the seraphim and the cherubim and each of them had six wings. With two they covered their face and with two they covered their feet and with two they did fly and they flew around the throne singing holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Verse 8 then says, Isaiah said, woe is me. Huh. 
Because when the real presence of God hits the church, it doesn't cause you to look at everybody else's feet. It causes you to look at yourself, God help me, and say, woe is me. Isaiah didn't say, woe is them people. He didn't say, woe is Israel. He didn't say, woe is the palace. He said, woe is me. Why? For I am undone. Because true worship causes you to look introspectively and not at your feelings first. If you're a worshiper, you won't look at what the leader did wrong to you. You'll look at what you did to yourself, God help me. Worship makes you take responsibility for who you are. Isaiah looked at the presence of God and he said, woe is me, for I am undone, God help me. He says, I'm undone. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. But then once you recognize who you are before God, it allows you to clearly analyze who others are before God. Because once he says, I am a man of unclean lips, he's then able to say, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. We want to judge God, the people, and then us. But God says, if you see me right, you'll see yourself, and then you'll be able to relate to others right. Maybe the relationships that you have that are messed up are messed up because you have an improper view of yourself because you haven't really seen God. Because you can't see God until you walk in truth. Tell us what you think. Because you can't worship rightly until you tell us what you think. He says, okay. Um, okay, Joshua, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. He says, truly I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. He says, verse 21, chapter 7, if you still got your Bible open, he says, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful mantle, that's a robe, made from shinar, that's silk. 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. I coveted it. Notice he didn't say I desired it. But they used the word coveted because covetousness is when you desire something that, has, that belongs to someone else. Do you understand? Covetousness is when you want something that you know belongs to someone else. So when Achan says, I coveted them, he is acknowledging that he knew he wasn't supposed to have it. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And I took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. Here, 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 here it is. When Joshua finds out, he sends people to the tent to go get the stuff. They get the stuff, bring it before the people. They destroy the stuff <laughs> because they want God to know that we're not going to have anything amongst us that you said belongs to you that everything that is yours God you're going to get everything that belongs to you right but not only do they destroy the stuff the Bible says they call out Achan's entire family I want you to hear me now my, my great grandfather Reverend Dr. E.R. Gaines used to say Everything in the Bible ain't right, but it's true. Some stuff that happened ain't right, but it's true. The Bible says his whole family, down to the nursing infant, they were stoned with stones and burned with fire. Everybody. Not just Mama Aiken, not just Daddy Aiken, but Baby Aiken. That we just had the baby shower for a few months ago. Stoned with stones and burned with fire. 
Little Aiken Jr., he just went to his football game on Saturday and saw him play, but he stoned and stoned. Burned with fire. Little Aiken Nina that had her ballet recital just a few months ago, she stoned with stones and burned with fire. Because in the Old Testament, hear me, to purge disobedience, you had to purge the disobedient. To get rid of disobedience, you had to get rid of the disobedient person. In order for God to see that you really were serious about obedience, you had to violently purge the disobedient people from the camp. This is not just with Achan, but the Bible says when they rose up against Moses in the wilderness, God opened up a crevice and swallowed all of the sons of Korah. Because they murmured against Moses. Why? Is it because God has low self-esteem or because Moses couldn't handle nobody talking about him? No. It's because God is trying to send a message about rebellion to a people that he wants to bless. God wants you to understand that you can't take Egyptian habits into the promised land. So in order for you to understand that, I've got to paint it for you graphically. But let me tell you why you can shout while the Israelites had to cry. Because of Jesus... God no longer has to kill the disobedient person to get rid of the disobedience in a person. God, help me. But because of Jesus, God can get rid of disobedience without getting rid of the disobedient. God, help me. Because some of y'all are here today because God should have killed you. But instead of killing you, he killed the nastiness that was on the inside of you. That's why you're able to shout now. Because the things you used to do, you don't do anymore. Places that you used to go. God took the desire out of you. Because instead of killing you, he let you live. But he killed the desire in you. Uh, but sometimes if we're immature, the death of desire feels like the death of us. Because we're so deeply connected to our desires and to our feelings and to how we look and to how our image is and what we think, Coriana, that when God begins to purge us, we think he's killing us. But he ain't really killing us, he's cleaning us. My daughter is a perfect example of this. She hates to get her hair done, but she loves to be pretty. She want to look good. But Kashana, she's tender-headed. And when my wife or anybody does her hair, she has this wince on her face. After a while, tears begin to come down her eyes. Because she doesn't understand in her immaturity that this process that's causing her pain is not for her detriment, but it's for the ultimate desire of her beautification. God help me. That when the pain is over, you're going to be pretty after a while. God help me. But you got to be able to endure the pain. But the whole time, because she's underdeveloped, because she is immature, and she doesn't understand, she's crying like it's the end of the world, as if the hairdresser has an art against her. But she doesn't understand that the hairdresser ain't trying to hurt you, because it would be of no benefit to the hairdresser to hurt you, because you're a reflection of the hairdresser when you leave out the chair. Wouldn't make any sense for me to leave you out of here hurt. I've got to make sure you look good when you walk out of here because how you look after you get done with the process is not a reflection of you, it's a reflection of my handiwork. But if you keep getting up out the chair because you can't handle pain, because you can't handle correction, because you can't handle rebuke, because you can't handle no, stop, slow down, wait, don't go there, don't say that. This is not the time. If you want to abandon it every time it happens, then you're not fit for what you want. 
Oh, I, I got a, one of my lion brothers. Uh, he, he's, he's what we would call, uh, where I'm from, uh, in Arkansas, he's what we call such and that. He's, he's kind of wealthy and uh, make a little bit of money. And uh, he, uh, Chris, his, his name is Chris, actually, uh, uh, he has friends that are famous, uh, friends who are models, and they turn them on to wearing these funny shoes. And uh, we went to Houston a few years ago to celebrate uh, our anniversary at the New Cross. Um, and uh, he's putting on these shoes, and we're out, and he's wearing these shoes. And like on the first time, he's just like, what about these shoes? And so, you know, I, <laughs> I ain't got nothing to prove. I, I'm out there with some nice soft bottoms. I'm comfortable. You know what I mean? I don't look like I should be with the rest of them. I'm dressed kind of like a preacher, but, you know, whatever. I'm out there, and I'm comfortable in my fire club. He's complaining about his feet. And I say, man, why did you wear them shoes if you knew they was going to hurt your feet? Why are you wearing them if you knew they were going to be painful? And he said something to me. He said, man, ain't you ever met a model before? And I said, you? <laughs> Closest thing I've ever met to a model. He says, well, man, somebody should tell you that beauty is pain. <laughs> that there's sometimes... The price you pay for looking good on the outside is hurting on the inside. <laughs> oh, God. And some of us aren't ready to pay the cost to be beautiful. Because we want beauty without pain. And although that is a principle that he applied to his carnality and to his flesh, it is a principle that God applies to every one of us, every one of us in our development. That now may not be your time to glorify yourself. Now may not be your time to do your own thing and to promote yourself. Now may be the time to give God the best of your time. But God is not unfair as to forget your labor of love, beloved, because after they've purged disobedience from camp, chapter 8, verse 1 and 2 says that God then tells Joshua that he's ex now that he's expelled the disobedience from his camp to get up and to take courage. Because now that you've cleansed the camp, the same thing you did to Jericho, I'm about to let you do to Ai. God says, look, when you take care of me first, I'm going to make sure that everything you want is taken care of. Jesus picked it up and said it this way. Seek ye first, Matthew 6, 33, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all what things? The things that Jesus told you not to worry about. Where you going to live? What you going to wear? What you going to eat? What you going to drive? Jesus says, if you, could, if you put me first, all of these things won't be given to you. He said, they'll be added unto you. Because if I give them to you, you'll misappropriate or feel like they're yours. But when I add them to you, literally it's going to mean give them day by day. You'll learn to trust me to take care of them. Every day you wake up, new mercy. Every day you wake up, new favor. Every day you wake up, new power. But God says you can't have that if you want to have what's mine. You can't have what's yours if you're trying to hold on to what is. There's aching in the body. But how do we get rid of aching in the body? We've got to ask God to purge the disobedience from our lives. Purge the clutter from our Get rid of that thing in us that makes us act as God 
for the years. Because the only reason why you would want Miss Relatives, let me help you, I'm done. Um, it's arrogance, and you don't want to call it that, but it's arrogance when we try to take God's stuff and make it our own. Why? Because deep down what we're saying is we can do better with God's stuff than God can do with our stuff. When I spend my tithe, rather than give it, I'm saying that I know what God can do for my, or what I can do for myself that can help God for him. When I take my energy and my time and my talent and I invest it in things outside of the kingdom, when I have my hands lifted to see if I could be a blessing to the kingdom, I'm saying that I know what to do with me that will honor God and bless God. It's not a prohibition against extra stuff. I think everybody needs to have some extra stuff. Everybody. We've got to have a hobby. And we especially as ministers of this gospel, we should have a hobby or something on the outside. But church ain't a hobby. Ministry is not a hobby. Ministry is a calling. They, they, you know, they used to say you can build skyscrapers and great and tall and you can get seats and walls and angels and angels. Your hobby. Only what you do for Christ is your hobby. And the only thing you can do for Christ, I told you this week now, the only thing you can do for Christ is what Christ wants that's the only thing you can do for him you don't have anything you can give God other than what is your obedience anything else you try to give him is sacrifice the Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice that's all you can do for God 